be seated. Good job, team. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today if you have your Bible. If you do not have your Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They have Bibles that you can use today. They have Bibles that you can have. So when you see them walking down the aisle, just wave at them if you would like a Bible. We have given away more than 400 Bibles since our church began uh, doing just this. Every Sunday we'll open God's Word, we'll study from it, we'll read from it, we'll try to learn from it. It is not just a text, but the main text of what we're trying to follow to learn who Jesus is and how we can follow him well in life. And today we are ending a series that began the Sunday after Easter called Big. Uh, And it's interesting because we've been talking about little things, not big things, but we've said this all month long at our church. We've been looking at little areas spiritually that if we begin to understand and practice little things spiritually, it will have a big impact on our life. The first week we looked at what we called the big picture. And we said, let's, let's scrape away everything we've learned and let's just see what Jesus said was important. And we talked about becoming a, a great commandment, great commission, great compassion Christian. That the most important things, the big picture spiritually is to love God, to love people, and to help people who are in need. Like that is the big picture of what our life is supposed to be about first and foremost. The, the following two weeks, we talked about prayer. We talked about the big prayer. And we broke down the Lord's Prayer and how that helps us understand how to communicate with God in, in order to be close to God, not just to get things from God. And then last week, we looked at what we call the big prayer problems, and we dug into the book of James at, at what James said in three different places. Basically, if you do these things or think this way or live like this, your prayers will never be answered. So we learned how to pray, and then we learned what not to do so our prayers would be answered But today we are getting into what I believe is the most difficult message of this series, at least for me. Because today we're looking at a text in Philippians chapter 2, and and I have titled the Bible study for today's text just the big attitude problem. Today's text, only two verses long, is a text that if, if you were to ask me how many times during the week that I preached on the big picture, I thought about great commandment, great commission, great compassion, living the answer is, is very few. I wrestled with that for years before I knew that's how I wanted to live my life and I knew that's how I wanted to lead a church. But it didn't hit me every day, all day that week. And if you ask me about the prayer things, the, those are routines that I've learned in order to live for Jesus and try to know Jesus and try to grow close to Jesus. Those are things I've learned. But this Bible study that we're getting ready to go over together, uh, this message that you will hear today is something that I have thought about at least a hundred times times this week. I mean, many times a day, every day, this message, if this message was a hand, it has slapped me in the face all week long because of the simplicity of the challenge, but the big spiritual result that will happen if we understand this and take this problem seriously. By the way, I believe, and I've got this written in my notes, I believe what we're talking about today is the most glaring blind spot within Christian people today. We love to and we fixate upon sins in society that are bad and that make people bad and that turn people off. And we have a list of maybe a hundred things that we shouldn't do as Christians, and this doesn't make most of our lists of top 100. But I think if you were to ask people outside the church what one of the major problems they find with churches, with church people, with Christian people, I believe this is at the top of their list, just simply the way that church people act, simply the way that Christians act. And today we read a strong message from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, about the type of lives that we ought to lead if we want to have influence for Jesus. That There's the bottom line of this message. We're going to learn today the type of life 
that we should lead if we want to have influence for Jesus with people who do not yet know Jesus. And what does Paul say? We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read it in verses 14 and 15. I'm going to start in the New International Version because that's what we have and pass out. Then I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation because I love what it says in the New Living Translation, how simple it is. But here's what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Do everything. Now you say, what does everything mean? Everything means everything. There are some words in the English language that encompass the Greek language pretty well. Everything is one of those. It's kind of like all. I had a professor in college that used to say, all means all, and that's all all means. Everything means everything. What is everything? Everything is everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, the New Living Translation says it this way, and I think this, I mean, literally, this verse could be the entire message today. Here's what it says in the New Living Translation on the screen behind me. You'll see this. Paul basically said, hey, here's the way Christians need to live their life. If you want to have influence with people outside the church, do everything without complaining. Like, there's the message. Do everything in your life without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. I believe that the church today has a big attitude problem. Actually, two. And they aren't specific attitudes. I believe the church's attitude problem falls in two areas. And it's not a specific, uh, it's not a specific attitude, but these are areas of attitude that if if we don't learn what Paul's saying to us today... We'll never have the influence in the world spiritually that we would hope to have. And I want to show you the two big attitude problems that I have existed with most of my life that this week, I'm only beginning to realize this week how much I really struggle in this area. And what I believe the church as a whole, and maybe you in your life struggle with as well, two big attitude problems that if we want to have influence for Jesus, we got to fix. Little things that will result in big change. Number one, I believe that we have an attitude problem in the awareness of attitude category in our life, which means this. I, I don't know that very many of us are aware of the DNA of our attitude. I don't know that many of us are aware of how people in our life view us. I, I don't know that we are aware of the box that our attitude fits into. Now, Philippians two fourteen and 15 says it pretty clearly. Do everything without complaining and arguing. New Living Translation just hits it like, just stop complaining. As a parent, you've said this to your children, right? Now as a pastor, Paul is saying this not only to his church, but God likes this advice so much. He said, I'm going to make sure that's written down and every church for the rest of time has this. Stop complaining about everything. Stop arguing with people about everything. But the backdrop of the verse is, is even greater than just the words of the verse. In the New International Version, it says this. For those of you who who have the Bible we just passed out or something similar, Paul says it this way. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And then he gives us the backdrop. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul there is quoting from Genesis chapter 32. Except he, he changed a word. Paul has pointed to an Old Testament verse where Moses 
describes the people that he's leading. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, if you've seen the animated movie, The Prince of Egypt, if you've heard about the Ten Commandments and the parting of the Red Sea, Moses is leading that people. And Moses, at the end of his life, writes a song. In the Bible, it's called Moses' Song. And in the song, he reminds people that because they always complain, because they always argued that they are a crooked and perverse generation. So Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So you won't be like them. Let me ask you a question today. How, how is your attitude today? How would people that you have worked with the last five days or the last month or this year, how would they say that your attitude is, are you aware of certain attitude tendencies in your life? Are you aware that at times you can be a really negative person? Are you aware that at times people may see you as a really pessimistic person? Are you aware that people don't like to sometimes engage in conversation with you because you're skeptical about everything? Are you aware that, that sometimes you're just brooding and when people see you walking down the hallway, they dive into their office so they don't have to engage in a conversation with you? Are you a sarcastic person who always has some kind of quick-witted stupidity to say about everything, always cutting someone down, kind of kidding, kind of not, but, but people behind your back would say, you know, that, like their sarcasm is getting old. Are you an arrogant person? Do you carry yourself with a demeanor that you're better than everyone else? Um, are you a self-absorbed person? You only think about yourself and how things will impact you, and everyone around you knows you care a whole lot more about you than everyone else. Are you argumentative? Do you like to argue? Do you like to pick fights in real life or on Facebook? You love to just pick, 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 because it's fun. It's just in your nature. Do you play the devil's advocate with things? Not because you really disagree with people, but just... Because you want to make sure they have thought through everything. I love what a preacher said. The devil doesn't need an advocate. Don't be one. No one needs to be a devil's advocate. Do you live with worst case scenario? Every time you hear a great idea, do you automatically know why it won't work or why it may not work? Are you aware of the attitude tendencies in your life that are turning people off? Because before we answer this question, how's your attitude? We have to look at the context of Philippians 2.14. Because Paul is saying, listen, before I teach you about attitude, you need to understand what attitude looks like and how bad, bad attitude can look like. I remember when, when Danielle and I got engaged. We got engaged very young. Uh, I was 20. She was 18 when I went over Thanksgiving break to pick out her engagement ring. We met her freshman year of college, my junior year. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to marry her. And, um, and I went home over Thanksgiving break. My best friend went with me. We had a friend who, whose mom owned a jewelry store, and we went, and I was getting ready to, to get engaged. And I said, listen, I'm getting ready to get engaged. I've met the most unbelievable girl in the world, um, and I need, like, the nicest, you know, she deserves the best, so I want the most unbelievable diamond ring in the store uh, for $900 because that's all that I have. Uh, I, had, I had actually, I was a pizza delivery boy in high school. Um, in, in the off-season, I worked at Pizza Hut. I delivered pizza. I wore the hat. I had the little triangle on top of my car. That was me. It was cool. And I mean, I literally had like a pocket full of tips, cash, going into the store. And I was like, only the best for my girl, up to $900. And we're, we're going to have to leave it right there. And I remember she pulled out this really little diamond. And she's like, you know, this one's like really nice, um, but, but it didn't look great. And she's like, hang on. And she took the diamond out of the ring, and she put it up against a black backdrop so it would stand out. She shined a little light on it. And I was like, ooh. You see, with, with the correct backdrop behind it, it looked beautiful. You need to understand the backdrop of what Paul is saying here to understand, I believe, our generation spiritually today and our attitude. Paul is basically 
talking to us about Moses and the Israelites, and he's saying, don't be like them. Now, who were Moses and the Israelites? Here is who I believe they were. I believe that the Israelites Moses was speaking of were the most blessed generation spiritually in the history of the world. I mean, I really believe that, like with all my heart. Perhaps the people who lived day in and day out with Jesus were more blessed, but when you talk about people who just experience God, I don't know that any generation was more blessed than the generation that Moses led. They saw the ten plagues that we watch in movies that we read about. They saw God every day of their lives as a cloud during the day, as a pillar of fire at night. Um, They saw God split a rock and bring water. Um, They saw God rain food from heaven and bring in quail so that they could eat. Um, They saw God actually, this generation is the only generation in the history of the world who God descended on Mount Sinai and he verbally spoke to them. They, They heard him. I don't know that there was a more blessed people spiritually in the history of the world. And at the same time, they were the worst complainers of any generation in the history of Scripture that we, that we read. Um, this was a generation that when we met them, they had been in slavery for 400 years, and they complained every day. So they cried out to God every day. We went out of slavery, we went out of slavery, we went out of slavery, we went out of slavery. So God pulled them out of slavery, and three days after they got pulled out of slavery, they complained about the route that God took them to get them out of slavery. 400 years of complaining about slavery, and then three days after you get out, you're like, you know, I, I don't know that I would have chosen this route to get us out of slavery. Um, and they would say at the end of that time, maybe we should just go back to slavery. Um, this was a, a generation who complained about the lack of food. God, we're going to starve. 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 And then he gave them food. And they complained about the kind of food. You know, we really don't like that food. Could, could, like, could we have something else tomorrow? This was a generation that, that complained about a lack of water. God, we're going to die of thirst in the desert. We're going to die of thirst in the desert. And then he would give them water. And they would complain that it wasn't enough or it wasn't at the right time. Or they wanted it in, in a different way. This was a generation that complained to Moses because they didn't understand God. They said, you know, tell us why God is doing this. Tell us why God loves us. Go figure out what God wants us to do because we're kind of confused out here. We're, we're following this cloud and this pillar and we've seen all his plagues, but we really don't know who God is, so go ask him who he is. So Moses went up to ask him who he, who he was, but then they complained about how long it took God to explain himself, so they said, forget him. And every time they would ask God for something, he would give it to him, and they would complain about the manner that he gave it to him. They complained about being distant from God and then God came down on the mountain and was right with them and then they complained about being close to God and that's like, that's that's too close. So we don't want to be real far but we don't want to be like real close. Could we we change this just a little bit? They complained about having to stay into the desert and then when they got to the edge of the promised land they said we don't want to go there either. I mean, this was the most horrible group of people in the history of the world, right? You can understand why Moses went up on the mountain one day and just said, just kill them all. God, just kill them all and we'll start over, and I'll find another group of people in slavery. These people are crazy. And every time God wouldn't do something, they would say this, God, just send us back to slavery. They basically dared God to de-bless them if he wouldn't bless them more. It's like, I know I was at zero, and now I'm at five, but if you don't give me ten, just put me back at zero. Paul says, listen, as you think about your spiritual attitude... Remember that crooked and perverse generation that everyone thinks are crazy and don't be like those people. I believe Moses was referring to in Genesis 32, or Exodus 32, and Paul was referring to in Philippians 2, the worst generation in the world, except I think ours is a close second. 
And I don't want to say everyone alive today in 2013. I just think most American Christians, not even Christians around the globe, most American Christians today have a complaining, grumbling, arguing problem that when the world sits back and they look at what they, what they think we've been given and they see us complain about it, they're like, forget them. They are crazy and we lose all our reputation in the world. I believe the things we do. You say, Christian, what are, what are some of the things that, that, that we complain about? I, I just thought about some of the things in my own life that I complain about. You know, I love the community that I live in in Lee Summit. I love the schools that my kids go to in Lee Summit. I love when we got back from India in February. I love that we have stoplights and roads that are paved and sidewalks. I love all that stuff. And I complain about paying taxes in order to have that stuff. Um, several months ago, Danielle and I, it was a monthly complaint to complain about how high our cell phone bill was. So we switched carriers and, and saved. We're paying now way less than half of what we used to pay. So now we complain about how good our coverage is. Good coverage, too high a price. Bad coverage, um, you know, good price but, but bad coverage. In the winter, we complain about how cold it is. And in the summer, we complain about how hot it is. And when it's just temperate perfectly in spring, we complain about how much it rains. I remember as a church praying when we didn't have any of this. We, we literally, on faith, stepped out and purchased $100,000 of equipment. And I prayed every day that God would give us the money to get the equipment. And he not only gave us the $100,000 before we started our church, but extra to get equipment. And now every Sunday complaining that we have so much equipment to put up. And on and on and on. You know, 70% of the world is without transportation. They walk everywhere that they go. We're in the top 30% of the world in that we have transportation. It's that we complain about how much the gas costs for our transportation and on and on and on, right? I mean, this is us. Just go read Facebook for a day and listen to people gripe and complain about everything and then notice how, much, how many of them are Christians and look at the message we're sending the world. We love God, but he's not good enough for us. You know, Paul says, what's really interesting about this, this book of Philippians, the, the church of Philippi was one of the greatest churches that Paul ever started. In his writings to the church at Corinth in First and Second Corinthians, Paul talked often of the Macedonian church. That was the church of Philippians. And he basically told the Corinthian church, like the Philippians, they're the best church ever. And this is one of his kindest, most personal letters ever. I mean, Paul wrote Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus and 1st, 2nd Thessalonians and Philemon. Some people think he wrote Hebrews. And out of all those letters that Paul wrote, Philippians is the nicest. You could tell he liked these people the most. And the only thing he really had to say bad to these people in other churches crazy stuff was going on in this church it was filled with a bunch of good christians that he really liked who just complained about everything and what's interesting is paul said your church is so awesome it's going so well i so enjoy hanging out with you guys but you've got to quit complaining about everything as a matter of fact in philippians 4 2 i want you to turn here because in philippians 4 2 we meet two people that the only reason they're mentioned in the bible is because they can't get along spiritually like, can you imagine being, these two ladies are remembered in history because they couldn't get along spiritually. He said in Philippians 4.2, I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche. Now, other than having terrible names, they had a terrible situation. I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Like, can you all please quit griping and complaining? 
You know, I thought this week as a leader of a church, I thought if I had to write a letter to our church, if I was never coming back, are there any leaders in our church that I would have to say, you leader and you leader, stop it and get along because I'm never coming back and we need you to be of one mind. And I thought, how, how crazy that Paul had to write a letter and tell two Christian people that went to the same church, like, stop it, get along. But Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's saying, you all need to be aware of your attitude and how others view your attitude because it's not really good. Can you imagine forever being remembered for your bad attitude? What a horrible reputation we would have. Here's my challenge to our church this week. My challenge to our church this week is this. I propose this week a zero-tolerance, complain-free week for everyone in our church, starting right now. You can't complain about how loud the music is, what the coffee tastes like, if there are any donuts left, how hot it will be today, how long your grass is because you haven't had to cut it. I mean, I just want you this week to just listen to how many people complain about everything and be aware of it because you're going to think, OMG, like this is really bad, right? Like everyone complains about everything. Why do I propose a zero tolerance complain free week? One, so, so you'll get it through your head how much we do this. Because you're going to be like me, you're going to start, start to complain about something, and then you're just going to stop and think, wow, I really complain a lot. Secondly, I believe it'll lead to a lesser complaining life in the future. But thirdly, here's why Paul says we need to stop complaining. Paul says you need to stop complaining because of this attitude problem you don't understand. You don't understand, number two, the influence of your attitude. You need to stop complaining because you, need to, you don't understand the influence that your attitude is having on people specifically the influence that your attitude is having on people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is and whether or not they like him and whether or not they'll love him and whether or not they'll follow him. He says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. We've read it a few times now. He said, okay, stop complaining. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then, circle the word then if you have your Bibles open. Paul is saying, if you will stop complaining, if you will stop arguing, if you will stop living in conflict, then, here's what's going to happen, then you will shine among them. Who's that? The world. Like stars in the sky. Man, you will stand out as different if you can get the complaining and the negativity and the griping and the conflict out of your life then you'll really, really stand out. Here's what I want to tell you. Your attitude has influence. And I believe that the outside church, people outside the church realize this more than people inside the church. And here's what I mean when I say your attitude has influence. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, I call you my friends. Like in John 15, 15, Jesus said, we are friends. He told his disciples we're friends. In Amos 3, 3, Amos said, do two people walk together? Do two people hang out together? Are two people friends unless they have agreed to be so? The outside church understands that we are friends with Jesus. The outside church understands that we say we love Jesus. The outside church thinks we're close to Jesus. Listen to me. The outside church thinks we are like Jesus. And when they see our attitude, and when they hear our complaining, and our griping, and when they see the conflict we have with other people, they they are saying, if that is Jesus... I don't want any of that because those people, like the Israelites, like they're crazy. You pray for food and when you get food, you want different food. You pray for water and when you get water, you want different water. You pray to get out of slavery, but when you're out of slavery, you can pray to go back to slavery. It's like, what? these people are like schizophrenic. They're crazy. And I believe there's a lot of people who look at us and they know more than we do that we represent Jesus 
And they don't like Jesus because they struggle with who, who we are. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, here's the reality that the Apostle Paul is trying to present to us. Here's your life and my life if, if we say we are friends with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We therefore are Christ's ambassadors. Write the word ambassador down on your sermon notes page. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul's basically saying, listen, because God is not here, he's chosen you to help people understand who, who God is. Now, y'all understand what an ambassador is. Y'all understand what an embassy is, right? I didn't really get this till, uh, till I went out of the country. And for those of you who go to Israel with us, every day between our hotel in downtown Jerusalem, we will walk by the American embassy. And every time we walk by there, our group leader would pat the wall and say, this is America. And I would laugh and I'd say, what do you mean this is America? And he literally said, behind these walls is America. And yes, I know we're in Jerusalem. And yes, I know we're in Israel. And yes, we're across the Atlantic Ocean. But the way the embassy and the ambassador is set up, that is American soil right there. That's America. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying... You are Jesus. Like when people come into contact with you, when people touch, like Jesus lives in you. You are not this world. You're Jesus. You are his official representative. And when people are with you, they're on God's territory. Unless you never act like God or show God or act like Jesus. And people are going to realize more than you do that you are becoming Jesus to them. And they're not going to want Jesus because simply they, they don't want you. If you're with Jesus, they're thinking, then he's probably something like you. You say, I don't want that responsibility. Well, guess what? Too bad. It comes with the territory. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, like this is how he started out this whole conversation about why you don't argue. He said in Philippians 2, 5, in your relationships with one another, you have to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. In your human interactions, you have to be like Jesus. In the New Living Translation, he said it this way, you have to have the same attitude as Jesus. People see you as Jesus, if we want people to know who Jesus is, if we want people to come to Jesus, you have to understand you're officially a representative of Jesus. You have to act like Jesus. Part of acting like Jesus is stop complaining and arguing and griping and living in conflict. Stop it. Because the world's trying to find out who Jesus is and you're getting in the way. You know, this week I had this question that I posed in my mind and I just started making a list in my head. You know, because clearly here Paul's talking about influence. He's not talking about heaven or hell. He's not talking about good Christian or bad Christian. He's talking about spiritual influence that we have on the outside world. He's talking about people seeing and being drawn to who we are spiritually so that they will know who Jesus is. So, so I thought about this, this thought of, you know, do people see me as a good Christian? And God interrupted my thought. And here's what God said. God said, Christian, you'll never be seen as a good Christian in the eyes of people if you're not seen as a good person. You see, this is what Paul's trying to say. People are looking at your life trying to figure out if you're a good person, and if, and if you are, why? Then they'll be drawn to the why. They'll be drawn to the Jesus. So, so I started making a, a list. Can you be a good Christian in the eyes of people while being a bad parent in the eyes of everyone? Will people see you as a good Christian if you're a bad spouse? Will people ever see you as a good Christian if you're a bad neighbor? Will people see you as a good Christian and have tremendous respect for Jesus if you're a poor employee? Will people see you as a good Christian if, if you're an unfair boss? 
Will people ever see you as a good Christian who deeply loves Jesus if you're an unethical businessman? Will, will people see you as a good Christian and be drawn to what's inside your soul if you're a poor sport anytime you play a sport? Will people see you as a good Christian if you're a constant complainer at every coffee break, every board meeting, every cubicle, every lunch, every coffee? Will people see you if you're a good, a, a, as a good Christian if you're someone who constantly talks down to people or who constantly talks about people to other people? Will people see you as a good Christian who something different is in your life and they're drawn to it if you're someone who always plays the devil, devil's advocate in life or on Facebook? Will people see you as a good Christian and be drawn to Jesus if you mishandle your finances and you don't pay your bills on time or, or ever pay them at all? At lunch with a businessman two weeks ago who, who said, when I, when, when I get engaged in your church, I don't know anyone... I don't want anyone to know what I do because every church I go to, people find out what I do. They hire me to do it and they never pay me. Christians are some of the worst customers I've ever had. That, ugh, that's, that's not good. That, will you ever be seen as a good Christian if deep down you have no self-worth and you're always throwing a pity party for yourself and Jesus hasn't added any value to your life at all? Will you ever be seen as a good Christian and draw people to Jesus if you act like a jerk to people that you don't know or that you don't like? Man, I'll never forget, several years ago, I was having lunch with a pastor from Branson who was kind of an older guy. He was probably in his 70s. And he was so rude to our waitress at the restaurant because she messed up his drink order that she started crying. And I literally thought, I will never in my life be seen with this man again because of how he treated her. And he was a pastor who loved God. But I promise you, people didn't see him as a good Christian that was something in him was drawing them. It's like Paul says, you have to understand. You carry the banner of Jesus. So clean up your attitude. Clean up your complaining. Clean up your life. Not so you'll go to heaven instead of, you'll go, so you, instead of going to hell, but so others will go to heaven instead of going to hell. Get the garbage out of your life. Here, here's the good news and bad news of church that God revealed to me this week. If our church is filled with people like you, some of you, then everyone will want to come to our church because of how you live your life. But if our church is filled with people like you, some of you, no one will ever come to our church because of your spirit. Here's the good and bad thing about living as ambassadors of Jesus. Is if Jesus is like you and you take that real seriously, some people are going to want to know who Jesus is because they watch your life. And here's the bad thing about following Jesus. If Jesus is like you, then some people will never want to engage him, know him, be around him, ever. See, our lives and our influence is a big deal. And our attitude is a big deal. And we can talk about being great commandment, great commission, great compassion Christians, and we can talk about praying and, and why we don't pray. But Paul here brings a, a big idea to his group of friends in Philippi, and he's like, listen, you all are an awesome church. You've got a lot of good going on, but you've got to drop the attitude problems in your church. Because the world sees it, I see it, the church sees it. You don't even get along with other people in the church. Like, you got to stop. you got to stop. Because the world is watching. You see, we want our church to stand out in this community because we want Jesus to stand out in this community. But here's the both unfortunate and, I guess, the fortunate truth. Before people notice our church, they're going to notice you. Before people notice Jesus, they're going to notice you. And if Jesus has done something to radically change your life and you are just that guy that everyone hopes to run into on a bad day, then there's a lot of people, there, there are going to be a lot of people attracted to our church. 
If, on the other hand, you're the person, we used to have a sign in our football weight room that said some people, um, some people make you smile when you see them coming. Some people make you smile when you see them going. If you're that second type of person that, like, when people see you sneak out of the room, they're like, he's gone. We're probably not going to have a lot of impact in this community with our church. Paul said, when your attitude is different, when you're not a complainer, when you don't argue, when you refuse to live in conflict because people seeing Jesus in you is very, very important. He said, man, you are going to shine like the stars in the universe. Now, I love to walk outside on a clear night and look at the stars, don't you? I mean, I love being in the mountains. I love being on a beach. I love being out in the country where it's dark and you can just, I mean... To me, they're mesmerizing. And every time, last night I walked out to check my mail after the rain. The sun was just setting. The moon was coming up and it was gorgeous. And I, always, on, I, I know from studying the Bible that on the fourth day of creation, God created the sun, moon, and stars. So every time I'm amazed by just the beauty of the galaxy, I'm always like, God, thank you for day four. Man, what a cool day that must have been. But you know what? There are nights when the stars are out and you can't see them because of cloud cover, because of fog, because of storms, whatever. And God revealed to me, there's a lot of people in our church that shine like stars. But if we have people in our church who have attitude problems, who are complainers, who are arguers, who are always trying to pick a fight, but they're, they're going to cover up the stars in our church and the community will never see the difference that Jesus makes in us. Do you see how big a problem this can be for Jesus trying to be known in this world? Now, Here's the reality of, of this situation. Some of you in here, your attitude is more a part of your DNA than your heart. Say, what do you mean by that? I mean, you hear this message and you're convicted. And you think, I don't, wanna, I don't want people not to be able to see Jesus. And I don't want to be negative. And I don't want to be pessimistic. And some of, you, some of you are saying, that's just the way I am. My dad was that way. My granddad was that way. My mom was that way. Like, that's my DNA, but, it, but, it's, but, it, but it's not my heart. Christian, what do I do? If it's my DNA, but it's not my heart, what do I do? You've got to be aware of your attitude and of the influence of it, and you've got to begin to back away from your bad attitude. In Numbers chapter 16, we're introduced to a, a family only by who their great-great-great-granddad was. His name was Korah. We know them as the sons of Korah. And, and we see two guys in this family of the sons of Korah. The, the, the Bible says that these two men became insolent. They had a bad attitude. And these two men got the rest of their family, 250 people in their family, to have a bad attitude with them. And they went to Moses to complain about God, to complain about something. And they were all having a bad attitude together. It was in the DNA of their family. And Moses said, God, what am I going to do with them? And God said, what do you want to do with them? And Moses said, I'd like to kill them. And God said, okay, let's do that. True story. Go read number 16. It happened like that. God said, but make sure that, that we're just going to kill the people who have a heart of complaint, not just a culture. Of complaint because the rest should get a fair warning so moses pulled these people out of their tents they and their families and then he said this i know you all have ganged with them to have a bad attitude about me and about god and everything else he said for those of you who don't want that who don't mean that back up and everyone who who was like you know i said that but i didn't mean that i don't want my i don't want to be known as a complainer i don't want to be known as having a bad attitude i don't want to live in conflict they all backed up and then the bible says the ground opened up and swallowed the ones who didn't back up. And there are some of you in here today who literally, you're standing on a fault line of turning people off from Jesus forever. And you've just realized it today. And you need to back up. You need to realize 
what's in your DNA that is wrong and you need to back up? I cannot stand this phrase, that's just the way I am. Biblically, the Bible says, no, that's just the way you were. It's not the way you are, it's the way you were. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, when you become a Christian, new things happen in your life. Old things, the way you, the way you are, the way you were raised, the, the culture and the DNA inside you, that's got to go. That's not the way you are, that's the way you were. But as a Christian, you have to become new. Some of you today, this is the most crucial message you'll ever hear, and not because you need to start reading. You read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you serve at church. You just have a bad attitude. And no one can see the Jesus you love so much because your attitude covers up the stars. You're a foggy Christian who doesn't give people clarity. She so said, well, Christian, what do I need to do? First, you need to tag your bad attitude. I gave you a list of 10 earlier. Some of you are thinking, I bet he was thinking of me when he put that one in there. Because I have people call me and text me all the time. Like, was that, was that meant for me? No. Maybe, but not today. Um, <laughs> I made a list of my ten that in the last decade I have struggled with. That in my life of 35 years, I, I realized this is in my DNA. It's a part of my family. It's a part of who I am. And, and I'll read you, this is my list, again, that, that I've been working on because I believe these things stand in the way of people seeing Jesus in me. I can be extremely negative. I can be extremely pessimistic. I am so driven for excellence that less than excellence, I'd notice it quick. And I've got to bury that. I can be skeptical. I can be brooding. My wife and kids will often look at me. My son and daughter will say at dinner, Dad, you haven't smiled today. Because I just, sometimes I'm just brooding and focused. I used to be extremely sarcastic. This is actually the first thing that my wife kicked out of me. We'd been dating for six months when she just one day said, I remember we were driving from campus to Applebee's and she said, you have to stop doing that. You have a sarcastic remark about everything and everyone and it just doesn't make you look good. I used to be extremely arrogant. I really still am on the inside. A lot of times I'm self-absorbed with how things will impact me. I used to be highly argumentative. I used to really dis like to discuss politics, and then I realized I was turning off everyone else who didn't hold my exact same views. So now I have political views, but I just never discuss them because I want people to see Jesus in me, not what my political views are. So I just put those on the shelf. I used to like to play devil's advocate. I was a pre-law major. It's fun. I, you know, I just like to throw a wrench in the argument, but I realize that doesn't help me look like Jesus. I still kind of exist in worst-case scenario every now and then. I mean, I, I've got attitude problems that I need Jesus to refine in me. Why? Because I want to influence people for Jesus. I want people to, to see my life as different. I want to stand out. And, and when people ask, I want to say it's because of Jesus. And I want to lead people to Jesus. Some of us have a big attitude problem that's got to go if we want people to see Jesus. It just has to. And here's what I want you to do. As you look at your next steps portion of your sermon notes, here's what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to evaluate your inner, your inner attitude and the outflow of your attitude on your life. I want you to just evaluate. And for some of you, it's, it's much more your DNA than your heart. You don't mean it. You don't want it. You wish you didn't come across like you did, but you're just saying it's just the way I am. No, it's just the way you were. Jesus plans on changing you. Second bullet point, and this is really hard, but if you have a trusted friend, I'd encourage you to do it. Ask somebody close to you to evaluate your attitude honestly and gently. Because a, a terse, like in your face, 
confrontation is probably not going to change your heart. But if you ask somebody, hey, what do you see in me that could be a turnoff? They will tell you, and you can begin working on that. And then thirdly today, I need you to understand the spiritual influence of your attitude. Because the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2, like, stop having a bad attitude. Because people see it, and they don't want to have anything to do with your God. But if, if you'll have a good attitude, then man, like you're really going to stand out. And people will see who Jesus is because of you. So, how's your attitude? What needs to change? What, what inner DNA are you realizing today has you on the edge of turning people off spiritually that you need to back away from? Because you realize, I've got some attitude issues, but it's not my heart. So I'm just, God, I'm going to back away from the consequences of my bad attitude, and I'm going to try to change. Man, if our church was filled with people who had the best attitudes in town, don't you think we'd be attractive to people who were hurting, to people who needed help, to people who, who wanted to see Jesus move in their heart in a big way, to people who desired God, but they just didn't know anyone they liked that loved God? Wouldn't we stand out like a big, fat star or constellation in the sky that was always there to draw people to Jesus? I think we would. But it has to happen in every heart for our church to have the DNA of good attitude, non-complaining attitude. Check yourself this week. Take a step forward in your attitude so you can take a huge leap forward in your influence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, really um, grateful for this challenge from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It's in your face. It steps on your toes. It punches you in the gut. But it has been needed in my life this week. Lord, I can think of a hundred different times I began to complain about something stupid this week only to stop because this verse has been stuck in my head, drawing me closer to you so that one day people will see more of you in me. And God, I pray for the men and the women in our church right now and their attitudes and their conflicts and their arguments and their griping. And God, I pray that it'll stop. Do not allow us to be Christians who are remembered like Euodia and Syntyche in Scripture only because preserved in history as two Christians who, get, who couldn't get along. How embarrassing that would be one day in eternity, Lord. Help us today to evaluate our attitude. Help us today to understand our influence. And help us today to remember John 15, 15. Jesus said, I call you friends. Amos 3, 3. Well, the two people hang out unless they're the same. And to help people understand, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we are Jesus. Like, in this world, we are the property of Jesus. And God, I pray that when people are with us, they feel home with you. Help us to kick these bad attitudes in the rear this week and become different, better people so that we might shine and stand out as people who know Jesus intimately and who attract others to Jesus. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you right where you are today, sir, ma'am, teenager, kids, I just want you to check your heart right now and see if there's any attitude DNA in your life that has to go, that you are willing to confront and no longer laugh at and say, that's just the way I am. But that you will recognize and say, no, that's the way I was. And I need to change now. 
because Jesus is in my life. Just right where you are, in your own heart, pray about those things that you may need to change and shift so that you shine like a star. You don't cover like a cloud. God, today we love you. We need you. We're grateful for your presence in our midst and for your challenge in our midst. And may our lives this week show people who Jesus is because we have great attitudes, because we represent the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus. And what he did as the Savior of our lives. Convict us all week long till you shape us into exactly who you want us to be. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. I'm going to ask you to take your...